0: So, today uh, we are starting a a new sermon series in the book of Hebrews. Uh, Today we'll be starting in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Let me read it to us and then we'll get started. It says this Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of the Lord. So, Hebrews has been on my list of books of the Bible uh, to preach for a long time. And if you know anything about Hebrews, uh, it is dense, it is powerful, and uh, to be honest, I come with a little bit of humility um, facing this task. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to us going on this journey together. Uh, Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that is formally anonymous, uh, it is never um, stated who the author was nor the audience. Uh, that the the letter was written to. So some, including the great St. Augustine, uh, believe that the letter was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, But many others, including myself, uh, don't believe that's true because of um, its style, its vocabulary, its themes, and how sophisticated the Greek is, uh, which is much different than, than Paul's use of the Greek. So in spite of the anonymity, He does say that his message was declared first by the Lord and then attested to those who had heard the message. And so meeting his message came directly from the apostles. The audience, although we don't know where it is or exactly where it is, is most certainly uh, Jewish converts who had come to accept Jesus and who are experiencing enormous pressure and persecution for their faith. One of the... main themes of Hebrews is to not give up in the faith, to not fall away, but instead to fix your eyes on Jesus, the the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the overarching theme of Hebrews is this. It's the message that Jesus is greater. He is the greater prophet. He's the greater priest. And he's the greater king. He is the greater uh, than the angels, we'll see next week. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than Aaron. And in the very first three verses of this letter, the author boldly declares that God has spoken to us fully and finally and ultimately through the Son of God and that Jesus is so superlatively greater. So first, today, Jesus is the greater prophet. I'm going to reread part of the passage. It says, Long ago, And at many times, in many different ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his very own son. So prophets reveal God's character and God's will to God's people. Prophets speak on behalf of God, and the apparent silence of God, I think, often really does serve as one of the greatest objections that skeptics have to Christianity, of course, but also to theism in general. But Hebrews shows us the ways that God has been speaking. It begins by saying, long ago, long ago. God has not just begun to speak to his people. He has been speaking since long ago. In fact, uh, we read in the very first verses of Genesis that in the beginning, God spoke the universe uh, into existence. General revelation. God speaks through nature. Not enough information that you may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, but God is speaking. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. When you go to the Grand Canyon in northern Arizona or even in in our deserts when it's not the summer, you can see (laughs) the handiwork of God and you can hear his voice declaring, "I, I am Romans 1 says that there's enough information uh, from, from what God has said through natural revelation that humanity is without excuse, that they ought to at least say, Who is the God that created all of this? Long ago, God spoke to our fathers, Israel, through the prophets. Prophets were God's chosen vessels to speak his word and his will to his people. We're talking about people like Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, and Jeremiah. And their revelation through the prophets came at various times and in different ways, through dreams, through oracles, theophanies, miracles, signs, visions. And Israel was so blessed uh, to be the recipient of God's word through the prophets, and yet each prophet's message was still a bit incomplete and partial because the fullness had not yet arrived in Jesus. Uh, The Old Testament, uh, without the gospel, It's kind of like reading the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings and skipping the return of the king, you know? And the return of the king, I mean, it it struck me as like, that literally is what this is like, as Jesus is the return of the king of kings and Lord of lords in his advent. When we were in Paris last summer, Becky and I had the opportunity to go uh, to France last summer with um, our three boys and our daughter-in-law and then uh, several other family members that we, we all were together. We only had three days in Paris. Uh, that is not enough, by the way. It's not even enough. It's not even close to being enough. So we had to cram our trip to the Louvre in, in like half of a day. And if you go to the, to the Louvre, and we got there very early, uh, you're going to see lots of different kinds of paintings. And, of course, uh, in the Louvre is the Mona Lisa, and everyone rushes. We rushed to get there. And, and I got to say, this is heretical, I know. Can I dare say it? Yes. The Mona Lisa's not that great. Like, in comparison to, the, to so many other paintings in the Louvre, it's, it's just, it's good, but you're going to spend a lot of time trying to get there. It's a, it's a pro tip. Like, if you don't have a lot of time, maybe skip it. But <laughs> in the Louvre are all these different paintings. There's different kinds of paintings. You have... You have very abstract art, which not everybody appreciates, but I actually do. And you have the impressionist. And in many ways, what I want to say is like the Old Testament, in some ways, was kind of like abstract art. You can't quite make out the picture. It's shadowy. It's, it's hard to see. But there is a meaning there. There's a message. Even more so, I'd say it's like impressionistic artists like Monet, where it's like, It's clear, you can see the form, you understand what he's trying to communicate, but it's also still a bit vague and fuzzy to some degree. But there are these paintings in the Louvre, in this grand hall as you go down, and it's enormous, and it's packed with all these paintings, some of which would take up this entire wall, and they are so realistic, it's as if you are living in time and history and seeing what the artist drew in real life. And that's the way Jesus is. Jesus is the dig- digital image. Jesus is the actual image. He is God in, in the flesh. And, and so G- the, par- the prophets gave us God's word in abstract and in blurry ways, but in Jesus, it became very, very real. According to our passage, um, history, according to Hebrews, is divided between the last days and this present, or excuse me, the former days and the last days. And when the author says last days, he's not referring to like sometime in the future, like right before the return of Christ. Instead, what he means by the last days is since the time of Jesus' birth until the time of his coming return are the last days. So we have been in the last days, according to Hebrews, for 2,000 years awaiting his return. We are in the last days. We have been in the last days. And in these last days, it says, God has spoken to us through his Son. And that Jesus as a Son puts him in an entirely different category than the prophets. Prophets speak for God, but in Jesus, God speaks for God. Prophets were pointing back to something they received, a vision, a word, an understanding, and handing the people of Israel what they had received. But Jesus is giving them himself. He doesn't have to point to another. He is the word of God. In fact, the Gospel of John tells us in the beginning was the what? The the logos, the word. Jesus from the beginning has been the very word of God, and he brings us the very word of God. And if you're a Christian, one of the most important steps in your walk with God, and this is true of all of us at some point, and it probably, it's best if it happens right away when you come to faith. But for many of you, especially if you're raised in the faith, there comes a moment where you have to say, I am going to place myself under the authority of God's word. I'm going to quit negotiating which parts of the Bible I'll accept and which parts I won't accept, much like Thomas Jefferson. And I'm going to live under the revelation and the authority of God's word instead of my own own authority. In the film, uh, The Stepford Wives, I don't know if you saw that, but the husbands got really tired of their wives talking back to them, having a will of their own, not doing everything that they wanted to do. And so these husbands of Stepford put a microchip in, in their wives' brains so that they would do everything they wanted them to do. But it came at a high cost, didn't it? I mean, on the one hand, you have a spouse doing everything you want them to do. On the other hand, you have absolutely no relationship. It, it's a robot. It's not a, it's not a relationship. It's not a spouse. It's not one flesh. It's ridiculous. But when we pick and choose... What we're going to accept from the Bible, when we pick and choose what we'll accept, what we're really doing is turning God into a step for God and not a real God at all. And, and, and you don't have a relationship with God. You only have a relationship with yourself. Do you understand that? You're your own authority. You're your own Lord and Savior in that instance. And so, Christian, if, you, if you're following Jesus, and not, none of us are doing this perfectly, none of us, but there comes a point in your life where you have to open up your heart and your arms and your mind and say, I want to submit my life to you as Lord and live under your word and not my own. It, we're going to learn later in Hebrews 4 that the word of God is living and effective, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. It, it penetrates between soul and spirits, joints and marrow, and it gives us an ability to discern the reflections and the thoughts of our heart. The word of God is powerful. And Jesus is the greater prophet. And he's also the greater king. Prophet, priest, and king. Forgive me, we're going to go out of order from the title, but we're following the text. Jesus is the greater king. In verse 3a, it says this. Sorry to reread it so many times, but it's so beautiful I have to. He is the radiance of God's glory. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification, he sat down at the right hand on the majesty on high. So let me sum up for, for just a second that, about Jesus being the greater king and what this passage says about him. He is the Son of God. That would make him royalty, would it not? He's the King. He's the heir of all things. All things. He created all things. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of God's nature, and he upholds the universe by his power. <laughs> there are no other claims that could be more superlative or, or like grandioseness. This. This, is, this is the highest thing you could say about anyone. Like, sometimes people make the audacious claim that, you know, Christianity says that Jesus was God, but the Bible never really says that he was God, and Jesus never said that he was God. Do you get that Jesus is, is this is saying that Jesus is God? I mean, it really is boiled down to what C.S. Lewis said, which you've got to accept Jesus as either a liar or a lunatic, because who would make claims like this about themselves or what religion would make claims about them, if, or it's true. These are audacious, ridiculous claims. And they're either made up and silly, and we should all go do something else, or they're true. It says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. And I tell you, as a pastor, defining what glory is, it's really hard. So is holiness. That's hard. I found a great definition from one of my favorite biblical scholars. Her name's Mary Healy. And she's written a fantastic commentary on the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. And I was so happy to see that she'd written one for for Hebrews as well. She says, God's glory is the visible manifestation of his awesome majesty. The visible manifestation of his awesome majesty. Jesus is the radiance of his glory. Radiance. When I think about radiance, I think of northern Arizona. Like, you think it's hot here, and it is, but like, we'll all look and see that the temperature is so much cooler up on the rim, but like, when we get up there at times, I will feel even more hot than I am in the valley, in a sense, because you're up an elevation, and you can feel the radiance of the sun and that higher altitude. Jesus is the radiance. When you feel the warmth in your face, he's the radiance of God's glory. And we see the radiance of God's glory in the Old Testament, like with Moses, right? When he's on the mountain receiving uh, God's prophetic word to him, and yet then radiating God's glory to such a degree that the people can't look upon him. He looks like he's been to Chernobyl, right? I mean, he's like just glowing. The radiance of God's glory. It says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, And this word imprint in the Greek, it means, it's literally character, which is so cool. Jesus is the exact character of God. And this this word was most used when coins were being made by stamping the image of like Caesar or a ruler on a coin, a piece of metal. Jesus is the icon of God. Jesus is the image of God. When you see Jesus, the Bible means to say, you are seeing God. And then it says that Jesus sustains the universe. William P. Blair, he's an astrophysicist at John Hopkins University, and he said this, that imagine the distance from the earth to the sun, which is 93 million miles. (laughs) When I do find a friend, don't tell him, but like my 25-year-old still is on my find a friend on my phone. I swear I'll kill you if you tell him. And it'll tell me how far away I am from him, right? It's like 1,400 miles to New York City or wherever. And that feels like a, a pretty big distance, but 93 million miles. He said this, if we could compress the distance between the earth and the, and the sun, 93 million miles, to just a sheet of paper, if we did that, he said, on this scale, our nearest star, other than the sun, which is 4.3 light years, is a distance of 71 feet of paper, so I want you to imagine like little sheets of paper stacked, you know, 71 feet high. That would represent the distance to our nearest star. But then the diameter of the Milky Way galaxy, which is 100,000 light years, would require a 310 mile high stack of paper. <laughs> That's also pretty high. But then if you, when, when you have these awesome telescopes that we have being sent out into our our universe, and we're getting information back on the size of the universe, that our Milky Way galaxy is only one of billions of other galaxies. And our galaxy is made of billions of stars, and uh, there are billions of galaxies. Do you get the sense that your mind is blown that Jesus is the one who sustains all of it? Jesus is the greater king. Kings rule and reign over their kingdoms. That's their job, and Jesus rules and reigns over the entire universe. Tim Keller asked, Is this the type of person you ask to be your personal assistant? <laughs> and that is meant to be kind of funny because that's exactly how we often relate to God. We serve a God who sustains the entire universe, and we're just now, after. All the years of humanity's existence, getting a sense of what that means, the, the, the hugeness of it, and Jesus is the one who sustains all of it, and then we, we are stupid enough to make bumper stickers that say, God is my co-pilot. <laughs> really? <laughs> God is like our Santa. God becomes our assistant, and if we're good enough, he'll give us what we want, but that's not how this thing is. Jesus is the king. He's the greater king. And lastly, and most importantly in some ways, Jesus is the greater priest. Hebrews 1.3b, After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Priests are so many things, but they are mediators between God and God's people, and they offer sacrifices for the sins of the people of God. This was especially true on the day Yom Kippur, which means the Day of Atonement. The priest would offer up bulls and goats as sacrifices for the people's sins. The blood would be spilt of the animal on behalf of the people's sins so that God may receive that as an offering and, and, and forgive them their sin for the lifeblood of the animal. There was no chair in the temple for the priest to sit down because their sacrifices could never stop, right? How could they, in a sense? But Jesus made his sacrifice once and for all, and then he sat down at the right hand of God as the prophet, priest, and king because there was no other sacrifice to be made. It was full, it was final, it was complete. The wrath of God was satisfied. That's why I believe he said as he died, What? It is finished. Jesus is the greater prophet. Jesus is the greater priest, and Jesus is the greater king. He's the greater prophet, once again. Prophets reveal God's will and God's character to us. And Jesus reveals God's will and God's character fully and completely. We don't need further revelation. We don't need any more prophets. We don't need any more books of the Bible Because in Jesus, we are receiving the full message that that God meant to communicate to us until he returns again. And that's not to say that the Holy Spirit does not illuminate what is true from God's word in our daily lives or lead and guide us. But we don't need another word from God because Jesus is is the word. Prophets speak for God. But Jesus speaks as God. So God has spoken, the point that I want you to take away for yourselves, God has spoken so you can live your life for His glory. We have a word from God, and you can live your life for His glory. In a minute, we're going to be confessing our faith from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question number one, which is, what is the chief end of man? What is the reason or the purpose for humanity? And the answer is, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever, Because we have a word from God, we can know what it means to glorify him and we can seek to love him in such a way that we glorify him. And so my question for you, what is holding you back from submitting to his word? And and I want to ask this of all of us because I don't care who you are or how long you've been walking with Jesus, from the most faithful person in the room to the the most new Christian in the room, there's ways in which we're all withholding parts of our life that we're not ready, it feels like, to quite give over to him. But after we hear and study how good Jesus is, why wouldn't we want to give our lives over to him? So what, what are you withholding from him as if you can, first of all, but what are you? And then the, the, maybe the better question is, why? If Jesus is so so good, so powerful, so superior. Why would we withhold anything and not lay down our whole lives for his glory? Jesus is the greater king. Good kings rule well. They rule and reign well, and they love, they love their subjects. And Hebrews tells us that Jesus not only reigns over this world, but is the author and sustainer of the, the whole universe. That, and that's got to mean that nothing is out of his control, ultimately. So if this is true, a takeaway from me is God is in control, so you don't have to be fearful and controlling. But we often are. But this would tell me that I don't have to be. If Jesus is the greater king, then it doesn't make much sense to spend my life worrying, does it? Jesus says, why do you worry about tomorrow? You've got enough troubles to focus on today and the fact that I'm the Lord, that I feed the sparrows, that I'm, I'm there for them. Why would I not be there for you? If he's the king, you don't have to try to control everything, and your fears can subside. And so what fears and concerns do you need to give over to Jesus, even today, as the one who sustains all things? What are you holding on to? trying to control, trying to manipulate, trying to figure out, but you can just, you can give to him. Lastly, Jesus is the greater priest. And priests, as we've said about five times a day, they offer sacrifice for sin. All the other sacrifices of the Old Testament were just shadows and types. They're pointing to Jesus, the one who'd be the final sacrifice, the true and better sacrifice. So Jesus is not only a priest who offers up a lamb of sacrifice. Jesus is the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the entire world. And so God forgives sin. So you don't have to be enslaved by guilt and shame anymore. And yet we often are If Jesus is the greater priest, then it doesn't make much sense to live with such doubt that our sins are forgiven. As a pastor who gets to talk to individual Christians quite often and hear their heart about their own self, they can believe the gospel for just about everybody else, but so many of us struggle believing that it's true for us. Of course Jesus forgave your sins, but I don't know about mine. But if this is true, if Jesus really is the greater priest, then it would be silly for you, not silly is not the right word. You you must believe that your sins are forgiven. Please believe that your sins are forgiven. And put shame away. What guilt and shame do you need to hand over to Jesus and live in the peace and the shalom, which is a true Sabbath? You need to rest in. Jesus said, My burden and my yoke are light. You see, everyone that encountered Jesus, their lives were changed. I love preaching through the gospels. I love reading the gospels because everyone that encountered Jesus had a life change. They either they either came to know him or it seemed, or they rejected him. But those those who encountered him had changed. The blind now saw, and the deaf now had ears to hear. And the diseased were healed. Even some dead were raised. Their lives were changed. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the greater prophet, he's the greater priest, and he is the greater king. And together as a church for the next several weeks and even months, we're going to be spending time unmining the beauty of what all this means. Let's begin to walk in it even today. Let's pray. Father, you are are the great prophet. You're the greater prophet. You have given us literally your word in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. May we submit our lives to your word, your authority. You've told us that through your son, you rule and reign the entire universe and that he's the heir of all things. And so... May we submit our hearts to your kingly rule and, and realize we, don't, we are not in charge and that our control is, is not real. So may we lay down our anxious hearts, give them to you. And you're the greater priest. And you forgive us of all our sins through your sacrifice. You are the spotless lamb, O oh Lord. So help our hearts to rest. To have Sabbath rest in what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, we beg you. Give us that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.